It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Public Affair. Uh, it's Wednesday, November 15th, so that means you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. And we have a fabulous show lined up today. I'm really excited to be talking with um, our guest, Maureen Busalaki. I've worked with Maline, uh, Maureen for so many years. It's so great to um, have her now here on the show. Hello, Maureen. How are you doing today? Good. Hello. It's Good great to, to have on. you. You are the director of the Wisconsin Alcohol and Policy Project that is part of the Comprehensive Injury Center at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Um, it's so important that we have an alcohol policy project here in Wisconsin because alcohol has such a huge impact um, on our state disproportionately. Uh to compared to all the other states in the United States. Are there parallel groups to you? Is there a alcohol policy project in other states or is it unique in Wisconsin because our challenges with alcohol are so unique? There are a number of other entities um, and they all look different around the country. Alaska has a very strong um, coalition. They work on um, primary prevention like we do as well as recovery. Um, and then it goes really across the nation. So I am part of um, the American Public Health Association, alcohol and tobacco um, drug use section, and we have an action network with states working on um, changing alcohol policy. That's good to know that there are colleagues across the country that are um, working on this with you because the issue with alcohol is so um elevated and, and, and at a crisis level in Wisconsin. I want to sort of set the framework a little bit for everyone. Wisconsin is tied for the second most alcohol use by adults in the United States. I think Washington, D.C. is the only community that's just an, an inch above us. But alcohol use, um, when they did a survey of adults that used alcohol in the past month, the average in the United States was 55%, but Wisconsin was a huge 10% more than that, 65%. And binge drinking in the past year, past month, um, it's the average is 16% in the United States, but in Wisconsin, it's 24%. And um, the number is just, that sort of takes me really by surprise that, you know, a quarter of the... Uh, individuals age 18 to 65 and older. And I want to make it clear that we are beating the national average in every single age category from 18 to 65 and older. Uh, that to think that a quarter of Wisconsin's um, adult population have binge drunk in the last month. What do you think about when you hear those numbers? I think there's room to make change. Um, mm -hmm. And we know from the research that um, there's a significant number of people who binge drink who do not have an alcohol use disorder. So this isn't just about people that have an alcohol use disorder. Um, and that means we can make changes in our society and in policy in order to reduce how many people are binge drinking Marie, because the rest of the nation does not have those numbers. I don't have the pro doesn't have the problems that we have. And Maureen, especially because um, you, you bring up sort of when, when you look at 
um, the reports and all the policies that you can find on the Wisconsin Alcohol Policy Project website. And there's just so many, so much information there. Um, but one of the um, graphs that I saw that I found most surprising is something that you just brought up that said nine out of 10 binge drinkers, excessive drinkers are not alcohol dependent. What does that mean? That means that people are using a significant amount of um, alcohol in a single um, occasion. And we define that as two to three hours and four to five drinks. Okay. And the reason that's defined that way is that's when you hit the 0.08 blood alcohol concentration BAC. That's and the, so then you're legally intoxicated. That's the definition of binge drinking. And is that yes. sort of the same as excessive drinking? And maybe we, we can answer that question later. Later, It's a little different. Okay. Yes. Okay. It is different. But so back to nine out of 10 binge drinkers, individuals that consume um, five or more drinks on one occasion and one event. Um, nine out of 10 of those individuals aren't Again, alcohol dependent. So what does that mean? So that means that we have um, norms in our society that are encouraging people to drink to excess. Um, but they have not yet become dependent on alcohol, but they may have health harms um, and injuries. Um, you know, there may be violence um, and other things that are involved because when people are intoxicated, we know that there's a lot of things that happen and the damage to our health can happen quickly, especially if there's injuries involved. And there's a significant number of alcohol um, attributable injuries um, that happen, including drownings, obviously motor vehicle crashes, um, but like railroad crossings, mm -hmm. hypothermia, um, and then physical things, you know, when we have college kids falling off a deck for example, um, there can be significant harm, you know, to them that way. So, and then yeah. we're setting ourselves up for chronic disease and cancer later on in life. And I really was thinking about how, before we even take a deeper dive into all the damages, to all the damage that happens when you are a binge drinker or an excessive drinker, um, the idea that nine out of 10 binge drinkers don't think they're alcohol dependent, that makes me think that of, you know, it's sort of a line from a movie of, oh, I don't have a problem. I'm not addicted. I don't crave alcohol. I'm not an alcoholic. But when you go and drink, you can't do it in moderation or you don't want to do it in moderation. So I think that's sort of interesting because if people put themselves in the, I have a problem, I have a challenge and you know, we all do. And as we get older, you know, sometimes we get to that level in our life of, hey, I have a problem with this. I have an addiction with this. And everybody has something. And then you can sort of work on it or talk about it. But if you never acknowledge that you have a problem because you're not addicted or alcoholic, then you're never going to address the fact that, yeah, but when you drink alcohol, you drink it to an excessive level instead of being able to enjoy it. Is is that part of the problem of the fact that in Wisconsin we binge drink, but we don't rise ourselves to the level of I need help? Um, that's an interesting question um, because from a, <clears throat> a medical perspective, um, there's very clear um, criteria to to assign someone as having an alcohol use disorder, and that is okay. a spectrum. Okay. Um, so I I I I feel like there's some good news here in that if we changed some policies, and um, you know, and the research definitely shows when certain things are in place, people drink less. So and 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 so that's kind of the bright the good side, side of, this. of this it can right. be addressed and there can be ways to change the fact that when you drink and at social event instead of drinking five drinks maybe you have two to, to sort of get right. people to move there okay okay so there's so much here to unpack maureen let's sort of back up a little and go back i want to dive a little deeper into the challenges of binge drinking um we talked on that a little bit can we just even break that down a little more. First and foremost, there's 
the immediate sort of acute danger at that moment when you become over intoxicated, the the danger that you put yourself into. Can tell us about that? Um, right. There's multiple harms um, that can happen with that. Obviously, there can be, um, <clears throat> you know, some violence, fights break out. Actually, I was just at the American Public Health Association meeting and they had a talk on when people drink five to seven drinks, um, eight to 12, and then 12 and above. And there's um, clear evidence of, you know, fights and violence, sexual assaults, um, and injuries at those levels. And one of the biggest pieces is people are hungover. They have a hard time getting to work on time. And really importantly for our employers, they're not necessarily performing their task with the precision because um, of that excessive alcohol um, that was in their bodies and can impact um, you know, their ability to perform their job, especially mm -hmm. when you're in, you know, um, construction or trades or, you know, and, and frankly, even sitting at a computer, right? Oh, if you're, sure. if you're not on top of it, you know, you're not doing your job as well as you could. There can be um, physical dangers to it if you're in trades or construction or anything that, you know, has some manual labor to it. But um, even no matter what, you're not as productive. You can create, you, you hit the wrong button and you send the wrong thing and things can go, you know, from small to, to large, depending on the work that you're doing. The impact. Right. Yeah. But yeah. the big danger with binge drinking is that's what our teens do most often. Hmm. And that can have a lot of impact on their social development, their academic development, um, their ability to focus, um, to do well in school in terms of social relationships that they have. Um, and of course, it can, you can become vulnerable to um, sexual assault um, and other, you know, violence. Um, and there's also <clears throat> research that's showing that um, there are suicides that are alcohol attributable. So that's also a big concern because it may make it easier to, to um, complete a suicide. And why do we see that so heavily in teenagers? I mean, I think I sort of know the answer is that it's sort of taboo. So when you get a chance to do it, oh, my God, you better do it as much as you can right now because, right, you're at this opportunity where alcohol is available and um, drink, drink, drink as much as you can. But is it also because it's sort of normalized? The idea of drink, drink, drink as much as you can is not that big of a deal. Well, um, in our <clears throat> state, it seems to me that we have, as you pointed out earlier, a lot of um, adults that are drinking to excess. And so kids are looking to their parents um, about that modeling behavior. And so if there isn't a concern and the data shows that our teens do not think um, binge drinking is as harmful as other teens across the country. Right then um, we have we have a problem that's that's starting. It's also known to potentially lead to other substance use um, later on in life. And alcohol is very accessible um, in family households. So that makes it potentially easy to obtain. Um, and then, you know, we also want to make sure retailers are not selling to kids. Um, and we do not perform alcohol age compliance checks all over the state. And so that's also a concern in terms of access more than to alcohol do for our for kids. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk more about some of the other issues then. So there's the acute danger that we talked about or sort of the immediate danger, but then there's also long-term dangers impacting your health. And I don't think people think about that as much as, oh, this is really going, you touched on it a little when you talked about youth impacting their, you know, brain development. People don't think about that. They think, ooh, I'm going to have fun tonight and I'm going to not feel good tomorrow. And then that's that. My hands are, you know, done. I'm done with the whole thing, you know, but it's not true. No, it's not. Um, there's certainly things that happen, you know, in the acute stage, but if there is prolonged excessive alcohol use, we certainly see a number of chronic health dis um, conditions. And most people don't realize that cancer is one of those. 
Hmm. Um, and there's yeah. definitely risk, even with low levels of, of drinking in your cancer risk, which includes basically the digestive system and breast cancer. Um, so wow. I think that's a really important thing to, to think about. Um, and then cardiovascular disease, you know, I know years ago there was a study about, you know, drink a glass of wine every night. It's good for your heart. That's been completely debunked. It's in fact the opposite. Cardiovascular disease um, is, you know, becomes a risk factor if you are um, drinking alcohol, um, even at some of the lower levels of um, drinking. So there's a lot of risk, and those are just kind of a couple, but there's um, over 200 um, diseases and injuries that the Wisconsin, or, I'm sorry, the World Health Organization documents. So it has um, an impact kind of through our, throughout our bodies. Talk to us about um, what the difference is between binge drinking that we've been touching on a little bit and heavy drinking. What does that mean? Sure. Heavy drinking um, <clears throat> is defined as one to two drinks per day. So, um, gotcha. and that's kind of that prolonged drinking and, um, and we know that often people are drinking more than that on a daily basis. Um, I talked to the liver transplant team here at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and they were saying that people talked about a six pack before dinner. And, um, you know, and that's why they're talking to the liver transplant team, right? Right. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of um, harm. Canada recently looked at the research and the evidence, and their guidance is now that there, it's um, the safest level of drinking is two drinks or less a week. So Wisconsin, of course, is nowhere near, nowhere near um, those numbers. looking at that recommendation. Um, but the heavy drinking is like that consistent drinking over time. And of course, many folks with who drink heavily also, you know, binge drink on top of that. Um, so it's that consistent use of alcohol. It's a carcinogen that we're putting into our bodies. Um, and there's also been research to show that, you know, you should wait until you're 40 to have your first drink because of the impact on your brain. Um, and again, there's research and there's reality of where we are right, um, right. You know, on this. So again, that's not likely to take hold, but um, the research just keeps coming out showing the burden um, that alcohol can have on our health um, and it, certainly on our roads and, um, you know, in many places in terms of injury, um, suicide, homicides, and falls. We have a lot of falls in Wisconsin that are, um, alcohol attributable. And that's a big concern. Maureen, I sort of want to ask the million dollar question here, which is why is it worse in Wisconsin than the rest of the country? Do we, do we know what makes our culture and climate and society more accept, accepting of, um, excessive alcohol use? Well, um, we have a unique regulatory structure in Wisconsin. I'm not saying that other states don't have something similar, but we have a statewide framework, which is in Chapter 125 of our Wisconsin state statutes. And that lays out sort of broad things um, like closing hours, opening hours, you know, and things that everyone has to abide by. It's quite a long list. Um, and then there's local control. And so there's over 1,800 municipalities that um, determine whether or not to issue licenses. And um, also a lot of other pieces, you know, like the, you know, are we gonna have wine walks on sidewalks, um, you know, and those kinds of things. And so with that framework, there isn't necessarily a lot of consistency about you know, who they're licensing and under what conditions, um, meaning that they're not necessarily staggering hours that, you know, places close. Um, they're not necessarily putting restrictions, like if they fail an alcohol age compliance check 
twice in a 12 month period that they have, you know, a public hearing and a potential revoking of their license, you know, so communities are all over the board on, on some of those kinds of things. And as we look over time, we continue to see the loosening of alcohol regulation at both the local and the state level. Do you think a lot of this has to do with regulation that it's sort of like a chicken and the egg because we had loose regulation alcohol consumption has sort of been added into the culture of wisconsin more than it has been in other communities yes there's actually research to show that wisconsin has um, fairly loose regulations compared to the rest of the nation but that's not the only answer yeah right um, obviously, the push for those changes in regulations is a piece of that. Um, and, you know, we know that, you know, we talk about the bar culture, that we have so many bars in Wisconsin and um, and restaurants and gas stations and grocery stores and bakeries that sell alcohol. And that's not the case in many other states, that they have a so many and b so many different types of places you know it's hard to go shopping in wisconsin without running into alcohol right you've got your big box stores that have it you've got a lot of um smaller shops that have it um, regardless of kind of what their main thing is you know i had a bakery down the street that um, was selling beer and I, I really don't you know and that license was granted by a local community, right? So um, we, we just don't have the same um, idea about that we should restrict it, especially when we're thinking about our kids and thinking about people in recovery and the fact that not everyone wants to drink all the time. Um, but we have a lot of public displays of drinking um, you know, you look at the UW um, policy around, you know, that they're changing, um, allowing alcohol um, in more areas and within more sports. And that's a big concern because, you know, alcohol is really not um, a way of improving athletic performance. Um, and, you know, we also know that there's a lot of things that happen after people are consuming a lot of alcohol. So police are, you know, they have to put on more officers on that night, you know, that kind of thing too. Right. So there's a public cost to this. They're actually, exp they're exp expanding access to alcohol at the UW campus after sort of, I, I almost want to phrase it in, in a different way. It almost seemed like the UW campus had a history of resisting the norm. And now they're sort of saying, all right, the, we, we give in, you can have alcohol at, you know, at the athletic events. And I, oh, I remember reading about that recently and everyone sort of reacted, oh, you couldn't, you couldn't get a beer at the basketball game? Like, really? I, I didn't even think about that. Of course you should. You can get a beer everywhere. So it's sort of interesting of that UW tried to, you know, contain, <laughs> contain it and it just... What is your understanding about why that policy switched or or just sort of the impact that we think we're going to see on the community? Um, it's it's one of these things that every little thing that comes up doesn't seem like a big deal. Right. And the problem is the cumulative impact of that. Right. So I'm not going to sit here and say that because they allowed it with, you know, whatever sport um, that suddenly we're going to have a bigger problem. It's just, you know, piling on to the problems we already have. You know, um, so most, and I've had um, sheriffs and police chiefs tell me that most of the calls after 10 p.m. are alcohol related. Right. Um, it's just so accessible. Think if we could change that, right? Um, the number of, you know, OWIs, for example, if there's a fatal OWI, the national average for cost is $1.75 million. Now, that's not all local government, but you think about the police time and that the fact that they can't be somewhere else. Well, you know, they're dealing with a, an OWI and certainly a fatal OWI. There's, uh, you know, state government. Um, involvement, toxicology labs, of course, there's court costs, 
um, you know, and insurance issues that go along with that. Um, and so it seems like we should get more serious about thinking about the cost to our public sector. And especially when, you know, I hear regularly from law enforcement that they don't have the capacity to even now be watching for people driving that may have an, you know, may be intoxicated, right? Um, and so that's a problem. So it looks like the numbers are going down, but it's because there's less opportunity for enforcement. Fascinating. We are talking right now with Maureen Buzalaki. She's the director of the Wisconsin Alcohol Policy Project that's part of the Comprehensive Injury Center at the Medical College of Wisconsin. If you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you. What are your thoughts about alcohol consumption in Wisconsin? Give us a call at area code 608 256 2001 extension 9. We have Mary Jo ready to answer your call. We have Emmett and Shali in the studio. We're really ready to take your call. You can join us on the air or you can pass a message uh, on to um, Jade. I think I said Shali. Wow, I'm saying the wrong names already. Uh, you can pass the message on to Jade in the studio and um, she can uh, forward that to us. Anyway, you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you at area code 608. 256-2001, extension 9. And I want to remind everyone, you're listening right now to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. So, Maureen, I want to talk about sort of the societal pressure of even having this conversation. So, um, I am not a native Wisconsin, uh, but I've lived here for... Got 23, 24 years. I've, I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else. So I consider myself a Madisonian. But I didn't grow up here. And I am still sort of surprised at the level of accessibility and uh, casualness of alcohol. Because it's so different from where I grew up. And I grew up in big cities. And maybe that's a different culture in Madison, even though it's a city, has sort of this small town kind of feel. Um, th there may be a million reasons why, but anyhow, I, I'm, I'm regularly surprised by it. And when I have conversations about it, whether it's a casual post on Facebook or conversation with other people, I, I really get people looking at me like, wow, you know, who the heck am I? Like I I'm here passing judgment and talking to people about why they're drinking too much beer. And I'm like, what? No, I, I never said any of that, but people get really concerned that it's inappropriate to have this conversation. Um, I can only imagine what it's like as the director of the Wisconsin alcohol policy project. What is sort of, the hesitation in Wisconsin to have this conversation, because if we don't have this conversation, we're never going to get anywhere. The, the conversation is the start. And it this is one of the strangely hardest conversations to have because people I find sort of walk away from me and roll their eyes at me when I start this conversation. I think it may be that people don't understand the harm and that they don't understand the impact. You know, um, I think the alcohol industry has done a good job of messaging that it's really about people with an alcohol use disorder, and it's really about those intoxicated drivers. It's not it's you. Not a, it's not you. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and as you pointed out earlier, you know, we're not all binge drinking on a monthly basis, right? So, and you know, there's a good chunk of society that doesn't drink at all. Um, and so it's probably not you on the one hand, but we've got these policies that encourage overconsumption. And some of the ones that really concern me is we know there's a strong tie, for example, between domestic violence and alcohol use. Hmm. And then you see um, different organizations raising money at breweries or, you know, um, kind of going into what we call pinkwashing because we know that um, alcohol, you know, excessive alcohol consumption can lead to breast cancer. And even low levels of alcohol consumption can lead to that. And then to put a sticker on a bottle of wine and say, 
we're celebrating, you know, preventing cancer is, you know, on the face of it, just kind of not the message that we want to send. And so I don't think people understand, you know, the risk and the harm, and they only think about it in one way. And so that's what we're trying to do is help show people kind of the breadth and depth of the harm that can happen. And it's not about like suddenly the economy will crash because we can't sell beer um, or we can't sell as much, but think about more of what else could we do with those dollars, Mm -hmm. right? And how much better we all feel when we don't, you know, drink too much. Um, And and again, not only just that immediate, but that long-term impact. Um, We know so much more than we did, you know, 30 years ago. Um, and, and now it's time to like take action on, on some of that. So it can be a hard conversation. Um, and certainly one where I'm trying to like ease into some of these concerns because I understand the culture I've, um, I've lived here like most, you know, I moved here when I was three. (laughs) So, um, you're a native, you're a native. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And so I really, you know, I do understand that culture, but we can pull this back and still be successful because that's a lot of what we hear on the local level is that we need tax dollars. And the only way to get some of those is to have places that serve or sell alcohol. And they're not taking into account kind of the other side of that. So in terms of the cost to the city or local government by having so much alcohol, and we don't even see it because we're so saturated. I'll give you a couple examples. Yes. In New Jersey, they allow one license per 3,000 people. Now, this these are really rough numbers, and it's certainly different impact on what kind of alcohol license you have, whether it's selling at a grocery store, or a bar, or restaurant, or especially on off-premise, like a liquor store, um, which we know is associated with violence. Um, And so thinking about that quantity, we're at about one for 350 people. Wait, so tell us the New Jersey again, one of 3,000, one of 3,000 and Wisconsin is one of three, one for every 350 people. Yeah, that's, that's insane. The difference (laughs) between those two numbers. Right. Um, So we are. We have so much alcohol in our state that I think it's hard for us to imagine a world without it. Um, Or a world where there's more restrictions where we don't serve minors in restaurants and bars, for example. Next door in Michigan, they don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, there's just a lot of things within kind of our current culture, um, you know, that that could change. And you know, bring down our harms um, and and actually allow people to spend money on local businesses and in other ways that, you know, could be better for our communities. And Maureen, something that you talked about, and um, we've, we've touched on a bunch of time about um, the potential for violence when there's um, uh, excessive alcohol uh, use. Um, you talked about domestic violence, you know, the... Uh, possibility of sexual assault and I'm also even thinking about the harm that's created all around not just to the victims but the alleged perpetrators you know people getting in fights because of um overconsumption of alcohol wind up getting arrested wind up spending time in jail besides the economic cost the damage is done to their lives of you know, as someone that's worked within the criminal justice system, who's defended individuals who have had these charges, proudly so. Um, but all of my clients disproportionately are like, look, I made some bad decisions and then I don't even remember what happened. And the price that they have to pay for the harm that they've created and their lives are disrupted and they wish they could go back in time and never have done what they did. 
I yes. think it's important to bring that up too. That that everyone's lives are being destroyed. Not not to parallel that to the, to the damage, of course, to a victim, but that it, it doesn't have to be a competition. There is harm being created everywhere because of this. Right. Um, also, again, being at the American Public Health Association this week, there was a study that looked at secondary harm to college students. Okay. And if they had um, been part or seen something related to excessive alcohol use and then kind of that, you know, whether it was violent or just helping a friend who was sick yeah. or, you know, injuries and all of that so that they weren't necessarily the person that was excessively drinking, but dealing with someone who was and the toll that took and they showed um, lower academic performance um, and more likely hmm. to not finish college um, and a number of other factors that are not kind of the thriving environment that we want to have for our, our students. The sort of secondary harm that happens right. because of this. And so kind of, of what this. you were talking about. And certainly the folks who were intoxicated, I mean, clearly you're intoxicated. You're not, you know, um, necessarily thinking Right. Logically. Uh, I mean, I think the best all, decisions. Right. Yeah. Said, well, it's like arguing with a drunk because we know we can't. Right. Right. Make a logical argument um, in that saying. So there is definitely that secondary harm um, that happens to people around someone who has has um, had too much. And then, of course, to those people that, you know, have caused those issues. And, you know, um, I've worked with a lot of people who are very concerned about, you know, what being in the criminal justice system does to folks and their oh, health yes. and their mental health. Um, and, you know, of course, when you've broken the law, there needs to be something, right? But um, there's there's issues around that. Um, and I know there's a lot of drug courts and, you know, other things trying to deal with the damage, but also come up with a, um, a solution that is maybe different than just throw people in a jail cell. So Maureen, I, let's spend sort of the next, you know, 10 minutes or so talking about the solutions. You, you've touched on so many of them, but I really want to sort of spell them out in detail so that we have an idea of changes that can happen and that we're not talking about banning alcohol we're talking about having it so that alcohol is something that people use moderately and and enjoy it moderately and not to a level where it's um so damaging that it is um so let's sort of break down some of the the changes can we talk about what local governments can do you talked about zoning rules and and issuing licenses what are what are things that you have seen and have you seen any of these things happen in wisconsin local governments that have been successful yes um there's i believe 30 some recommendations that we have in the state council on alcohol and other drug um, use called Moving Forward po Policies and Strategies to Prevent and Reduce Excessive Alcohol Use in Wisconsin. Um, and so we see a number of things, um, you know, that have been effective. So looking at density um, and having a city really think about how many alcohol places do we want to have? Um, and, yeah. you know, are these on walking routes going, you know, kids going to school? Maybe that's something they should be thinking about, right? So we've seen some folks, you know, decide to pull back on issuing additional licenses um, in certain areas um, because of how they want to keep their community safe and healthy. Um, we see a couple of other things that are very exciting. Um, alcohol age compliance checks are a very effective way to make sure that kids are not being sold alcohol in our state. And tell us what those are. Tell us what those are. Yeah. So it, that's with all the licensees being told ahead of time that these checks are going to happen. And then there's youth that go in and they look their age, no makeup, no beards, you know, all that kind of thing. And they attempt to buy alcohol. When it first starts in a community, we see 
that a lot of retailers sell to kids, whether it's in grocery stores, liquor stores, bars, or restaurants. But as that happens more frequently, we see that number going down. And we know it's protective to kids to not be able to have easy access to retail alcohol. So that's an effective um, gotcha. piece. We also know that it can reduce injuries, especially on our roads to young drivers. Is there a, a sort of a public health department response from local government? Or or would you think that's more a, a larger um, government thing, the need to educate and to really empower people and ensure there are resources to talk about the public health impact of this? Absolutely. And um, we will be releasing a new step-by-step um, -step manual on alcohol age compliance checks later this month. Okay. And it calls for that kind of collaboration between law enforcement, whether it's public health or substance use coalitions um, in the county and in municipalities, you know, to work together to perform these checks. And help make change in their communities. So that, I mean, all we're asking is for folks to follow the law, right? <clears throat> and so this isn't an attempt to try to, you know, manipulate or trick anyone. We just want to make sure that they're not selling to kids. And the decision uh -huh. of, of issuing alcohol licenses that in Wisconsin, that's really a local control issue where we, you can really have a conversation with your local elected officials about this. Yes. And that's, again, where having, um, uh, you know, coalitions, people coming from different spots, parents, um, law enforcement, coalitions, public health folks, even businesses we've seen come together to say, you know, we want to make some changes here. Um, we want to track data on um, place of last drink. So, you know, when there's an OWI, there's an investigation into that. And the police officers ask these questions and we're just trying to make sure that it's in a way we can analyze that data and understand where over-service may be occurring on a frequent basis. So then there can be a conversation with a retailer about what's happening and what they can do to prevent over-service of their clientele. I really um, like that idea. I feel like um, I was on the county board for, you know, 16 years and we always, there were always so many studies and someone had said once to me, you know, when there was pushback of there's why are we doing so many studies? And an answer was you can't fix what you don't know. And you think you know the problem, but you may not actually know it. And the important role that data plays in understanding why things happen and, and what little moves can be made to have an, a big impact. Right. We can also take alcohol advertising off of municipal property. Okay. So having buses run around with big alcohol advertisements um, is not helpful to a message to our kids, again, about alcohol in our communities. And there's clear research that the more um, alcohol advertising kids see, the more likely they are to try alcohol at a younger age. And so that's a big concern. We, again, at the American Public Health Association, we also learned that when children see their parents intoxicated or drunk, it can undo a lot of the family cohesiveness and the kind of protective factors that we're trying to build by family dinners. And so that can be a real factor um, you know, so it's kind of saying to parents, you know, yeah. you need to model good behavior in front of your kids because otherwise, you know, you're going to see potentially those protective factors going away. And then they are thinking it's okay to drink to excess as well. Um, so, and then the whole licensing process. Yeah. You know, that, and that is that more very... state law and uh, the federal level or that, I'm sorry, the um, sort of the statewide level or is that still local government? Um, it's mostly local government. Okay. The Department of Revenue does have some permits. And if the governor signs the recent legislation, you know, they'll be um, allowed to provide more permits. But there has to be, I believe, a dual sign off between Department of Revenue and the local community because it, it can impact the alcohol environment. And so having um, communities think about, you know, how much do they want? How much is too much? Um, 
And, you know, how do they want to think about safety and health in their communities is really important. And they can put conditions on licenses. And there's a number of things that they can do to make sure that they're, um, A, keeping track of what's going on, but B, um, you know, creating a safe environment. Because this is, again, we're not saying no alcohol. We're saying let's do this in a way that's safer for our communities, for our kids, um, and for our, our health. Maureen, talk to us about what can happen on the state level. Are there taxes that can be put into place and and make alcohol a little more expensive to access? Um, <clears throat> there are recommendations out there to increase the price of alcohol, and we've seen impact in some ways. It's similar to tobacco. Um, when the price goes up, it gets um, you know, more difficult for youth to obtain it. Um, and people who have it may be less likely to share with younger people um, because of the expense, right? Gotcha. Um, it can help reduce um, binge drinking and, of course, the revenue in the state. So um, I'll, I don't want to quote, I think it was 2021 that we received $81 million in taxes from the alcohol industry in our state which is one of the lowest in the nation. Our beer tax hasn't been raised. And I know you've probably heard this since 1969. Yeah. And obviously the harm from drinking a lot of beer um, is clear. The CDC recommends, according to a 2010 cost analysis, $2.05 per drink. Of taxes? Yeah. And we're less than a penny on a beer. Wow. Um, we're a little more for, um, you know, spirits and other things, but there's a big move to, to categorize like ready to drink cocktails and, you know, fermented malt beverages are obviously under the beer tax. So it's the lowest level of taxation in our state. And is that one of the lowest in the country, that level so low? Um, it's definitely among the lowest. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say <laughs> and misquote, but, um, it's definitely one of the lowest, if not at the bottom. And talk to us about um, the the other laws. I, I think about, and a law that you hear a lot about in Wisconsin is our DUI, that, that the first um, DUI doesn't even have a criminal aspect to it. So that's interesting that you bring that up. Um, <clears throat> It doesn't, but it does um, require a lot of community um, education okay. on the part of the person. Um, and there's, uh, you know, a lot of work that's being done to make sure that people don't um, drink again and drive. Um, so to me, that's not primary prevention, though. Yeah. Um, we clearly need those laws. It's terrible when people die that way. Um, and we need to do everything we can to stop that. But I think that goes to other things, you know, using effective strategies like um, short, brief um, interventions and referrals to treatments and looking at those in schools and in pharmacies and in healthcare systems in order to make sure people understand what's happening with their drinking and how they can change it. And there's been good evidence um, that there is, um, you know, change that can happen when people Mm -hmm. understand, you know, the damage that um, is done. That makes sense. So that's an important um, piece. And Um, Maureen, I'm going to hold you there for one second. We actually have a caller. Um, Jeff, you wanted to join the conversation. We are near the end of the show. So Jeff, if you can sum it quickly, go ahead. Yeah, I'll make it. I'll make it short. Yeah, what's the effect of legalization of marijuana uh, on binge drinking and harmful drinking in other states? Have we do we have any data on that? Ooh, interesting question. Thanks, Jeff. That is an interesting question. I don't um, have that off the top of my head. That's not um, my area, but I do know in Wisconsin that we often find intoxicated drivers with what we call polysubstances. So it's often alcohol is the most common by far, but then we see THC, meth, cocaine, you know, and other things. But we are starting to see in um, some of those traffic um, studies, 
THC alone um, impairing drivers to the extent that someone is actually killed. Interesting. That That's a really interesting question. I, I look forward to asking that on a future show. That's a really interesting question. Um, Maureen, we only have a few minutes left. What do you want to sort of leave with our listeners of, okay, we're thinking about the holiday season and what's coming up next. What can people do besides, um, you know, the big policy changes and talking with their local government, what can you do as an individual to sort of be aware of this and, and try and be part of the solution instead of part of the problem? Well, you know, if you're hosting, make sure there's plenty of non-alcoholic beverages that folks um, can drink and um, maybe limit how much alcohol you're offering in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that can be a step. I think if you're um, one of those who is um, part of an organization and hosting different events, I would not, you know, give out those drink tickets so readily. You know, maybe you give one um, instead of, you know, open bars or, you know, multiple drink tickets. It can be another way of kind of, again, pulling us back that we don't have to have, you know, a lot to drink. We can change... We can change our drinking culture by taking charge of the culture that we're in charge of. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, model for kids. You know, what would you want them to see? What do you want them to remember about you as a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt, uncle, you know, and, um, you know, and do what you need to do. Um, You know, drink a lot of water and maybe one or two drinks, right, instead of more. Um, I've, you know, I think that those kinds of things are really helpful and then you feel better and bright the next day too. Yeah. Well, it's been so fabulous talking with you. I really, I just appreciate Maureen that you exist as a resource because I think this is a challenging conversation to have and we have to start with the information and, and people can agree to disagree, but we need to have sort of a, a baseline of an understanding of what is happening in Wisconsin and how it's extremely different than what is happening across the country. And those are facts that we need to embrace and acknowledge here in Wisconsin if we're going to have a real conversation about the excessive use of alcohol in the state. Um, So thank you for starting that conversation here with us today, Maureen. It's been wonderful talking with you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Maureen Brusilaki. She's the director of the Wisconsin Alcohol Policy Project, part of the Comprehensive Injury Center at the Medical College of Wisconsin. And it's been great um, talking with Maureen today. And everyone else, thank you so much for joining us on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Thank you, Jade, for um, producing, Emmett for engineering, Mary Jo for staffing the phones. We'll see you again next week, everybody. Bye. Don't make donations where you cannot get your dough back. 